Welcome to the O'Reilly Design Podcast. I'm your host, Mary Chesler. Before we launch into our episode this week, I want to remind everyone that the O'Reilly Design Conference will take place March 19th through the 22nd, 2017 in San Francisco. Visit O'Reilly.com forward slash design con for more information and to register. Now to our episode. This week, I sit down with Kathy Pearl, Director of User Experience at Sensely and author of Designing Voice User Interfaces. Kathy is presenting a session on designing conversational user interfaces at the O'Reilly Design Conference. We talk about the VUI tools ecosystem, what constitutes conversation, and choosing accent and gender. Enjoy this episode. Kathy, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. I'd love for you to start off by talking a little bit about how you found your way into the world of voice interface design. Sure. You know, it started when I was pretty young. When I was eight, my dad got our family a computer, a Commodore VIC-20, and I got very interested in it and I learned how to program in BASIC. And I wrote actually a a chat bot that you could type to. And if it um, didn't know how to respond, it would prompt you and say, here, uh, why don't you type in three possible responses and save them? So the next time you typed that same phrase, it would have a response. And I was always just intrigued with being able to talk to the computer. Um, and then fast forward to when I went to college, I majored in cognitive science um, at UC San Diego. And that was a, a great mix of psychology and linguistics and artificial intelligence, which it turns out are all really great cornerstones for anyone looking to do voice user interface design. Now, at the time, there weren't really any such thing as, as real voice user interfaces. Um, in graduate school, I took a class called human-computer interaction which, which really kind of blew my mind because it was the first time I'd really heard people put a name to this idea that rather than just creating software and training people how to do these, these functions, it was about designing for how people really think and work. And um, I thought that was really great. And so finally, fast forward to 1999, I was looking for a new job and I saw an ad for Nuance Communications, which is a speech recognition company. And I thought, well, that speech recognition, that stuff doesn't work. But (laughs) they had a a demo line you could call. And I remember calling it and you could choose between checking and savings account to transfer money in this fake demo. And I I thought, wow, it actually works. And so I applied to work there um, and ended up working there about eight uh, eight years, learning kind of the ins and outs of of IVRs, interactive voice response systems. Um, And it was a, a really great experience. Wow. There's so many of you that came out of Nuance. I feel like that was the hotbed for where you're finding all these folks that are that are involved in various other aspects from autonomous cars on today. Yeah, it, really, it really was. A, I mean, we, you know, when I started working there in 1999, it was kind of like just before the dot-com boom and we were hiring like crazy and just this great mix of people, many of whom I still know today. Um, just a, a really, everything just kind of came together and um, it was a good place to be. Awesome. So you just finished writing a book. You must be breathing a big sigh of relief. Yes. (laughs) Designing voice user interfaces. Can you talk a little bit about why you decided to write that and what readers can expect to learn from it? So I view IVRs, interactive voice response systems, the phone things, as sort of the first era of voice user interfaces. And that started in the late 90s and continued. I mean, they still exist today. Um, and I think we're in the second era now, really in s- starting in the last year, where we have these new technologies with things like Amazon Echo and Google Homes coming out and all your phone assistants like Cortana and Siri and Google. Um, 
And I think it's, it's, it's a new world because speech recognition technology has improved so much. And now I can do things like just say across the room, um, Alexa, what's on the calendar today and, and get a response. And it's, it's really quite incredible. And I saw that on the website, Think Geek, um, they're selling a Star Trek communicator that you can pair with your phone via Bluetooth and actually tap it and talk to it just like on Star Trek. <laughs> Um, and to me, we've reached this incredible stage where science fiction is starting to come true. I mean, this vision people have had for the last 60 years of what it would be like to actually talk to your computer, we're kind of starting to achieve that. We have a long way to go. But um, so I think it's this this new era of, of buoys. And so for that, you know, there isn't really a book out there right now that addresses the modern voice user interface. Um, and I really wanted to write a practical guide. So someone who's decided they're interested in VUIs and what, you know, how should I do this? They could get this book and really sit down and learn the, the best design principles. So that's part of it. The, the other part is, as I'm seeing, you know, VUIs are very trendy these days and, and voices is, is hot, a hot topic and bots, some of which are voice enabled, some of which are not. But I'm seeing a lot of these designers and developers finding the same issues and discovering the same things that a lot of us learned back in the early 2000s when we were designing IVRs. I think there's a lot of things to share from that. And so this book is sort of, I think, a coming together of IVR principles applied to these new ways that voice is being used in sort of one place that people can go to um, when they're ready to design or develop a buoy. Excellent. Excellent. So your day job, you're the director of user experience at Sensely. Can you talk a little bit about uh, what Sensely is, what its uh, company's mission is and what you do there? We have a virtual nurse, an avatar. Her name is Molly, and she lives on people's phones. Um, and generally, her mission is to help people with their health and improve health care. We um, use it a lot for people who have chronic conditions, uh, for example, maybe chronic heart failure, diabetes, things like that. People who can really benefit from a little more interaction that, you know, we just don't have enough nurses and doctors out there to, say, visit a patient every day or even call a patient every day. And the reason we use an avatar is because there's been research to show that people will engage more with an avatar than with a non, um, you know, no image or um, a still image uh, of a person or something like that. And what we found that to be true ourselves, for example, with our chronic heart failure offering patients every day, Molly says hello, and she leads them through a series of questions and instructions. She says, how are you? And then she has them take their blood pressure and their weight and passes this information back on to the clinician. Um, and people get very engaged with Molly and they tell her all kinds of things, uh, about what they're worried about or what, what they've been up to. They apologize when they miss their daily check-in. Um, I've had patients tell me it feels like someone's holding their hand or that they'd be lost if they had to do this on their own. So I think the avatar adds this real extra piece that a standalone app wouldn't have. And she talks to them and they can talk back. Um, and I think it's going to be a powerful way for people to, um, take care of themselves and, and take charge of their own health. And in terms of what I do there, um, because it's a startup, you know, I wear a lot <laughs> of hats, uh, some days I'll be writing Ruby code to analyze data on how our patients are doing. Some days I'll be writing sample dialogues and creating, you know, voice user interface interactions. Some days I'll be doing user testing. Some days I'm ordering paper towels. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> really one of those things where um, you do all kinds of things, which I really like. I really like that variety. Um, and I enjoy that a lot. Excellent. Uh, so talk to me a little bit about um, the unique challenges when designing in the healthcare space. 
So I've been at Sensely a couple of years, and I found that the biggest challenges are surprisingly not in the technology itself. So, you know, we have an avatar, we have voice user interfaces. That is challenging, of course. But I find the bigger challenges to be in the ecosystem of healthcare. So, for example, we need to integrate with electronic health records. And that's not even quite as much a technical challenge as it is sort of a bureaucratic challenge. I mean, it takes a very, very long time and lots of patience and perseverance to get into that world and integrate. And you have to be very patient. You have to, you know, really stay the course. Um, and of course, it's a very cautious industry. You're dealing with patients' health and understandably, they everyone's like, Are you, do we really want to adopt this technology? Um, people worry about patient privacy, of course, which is a good thing to worry about. So we have to make sure we're HIPAA compliant, following FDA regulations, you know, data privacy, all of these things are very important on top of building an app that works and that people will use and things like that. So it's, it's sort of a, a challenge on top of the regular app building process. Excellent. So how long, how long has Molly been around? Um, the company, um, our CEO, Adam Odesky, started about three years ago. It came out of a um, company called Orange, a French company. Oh, yeah. And um, I'd say in, in its more current format, it's been around a couple of years. Okay, excellent. Um, so talk to me. We've, you and I have talked or corresponded briefly about this in the past, but I'd like for you to talk a little bit about how you define conversational UI versus voice UI. I would say I don't really view it as a versus necessarily because I think there's voice user interfaces that are conversational and voice user interfaces that are not and text ones that are and are not. Um, to me, I do I do have a definition definition of conversational. I was talking a bit about this at O'Reilly Bot Day last week. Uh, for example, my Amazon Echo. I don't view the Amazon Echo generally as conversational because most of the things I do are one-offs. You know, I'll say, what time is it? Or turn on the lights or set a timer and she'll give me one response and we're, we're done. And you know, if I go up to you and say, how are you doing today? And you say, fine. And then we turn and walk away. I don't really see that. Do we have a conversation? That would not be a very good conversation. So one of my definitions for conversational is that it has to have more than one turn. Another thing that's really important to be conversational is that it has to have a memory of what you said previously in the conversation. So a lot of times, um, a lot of these voice assistants, let's say, you can do multiple turns, but they don't remember what you said before. So each turn is like a brand new conversation, which would be really annoying if you were talking to somebody. And every time you said something, they didn't remember anything you had told them before. Um, and, and in relation to that, they really need to understand pronouns. Um, this is something that to humans, I mean, toddlers can understand pronouns. You know, I can tell a toddler to, you know, go get the red ball out of the green box. And it knows, the kid knows that um, I, I want the red ball. And computers have a really hard time with that. Um, it's starting to improve. Google especially, I think, is working hard on this task. Um, I've heard that with Google Home, they're going to be better about that kind of thing. But those are some of the things I think systems need to be conversational. And that could be either through voice or through text. Mm hmm. Absolutely. OK. Um, so looking into your crystal ball, I mean, I feel as though everyone's jumping on voice right now. But do you think the future of, of all interactions with technology will be voice based at some point? I, I don't think so. Um, I think voice is great. I think it's great for a lot of things, but not everything. Um, there's a lot of places where voice, regardless of the technology, I don't think will will be the most appropriate mode. For example, in public spaces, a lot of us work in open offices. And if you are talking to your computer all day, asking it commands and to do things for you, and everyone's doing that, that's going to be very annoying. <laughs> Not to mention that right now, we don't, the technology isn't really there yet to know, like, if I say, hey, Cortana, whose computer is listening to me? Um, so there's that reason. Another reason is that 
some people just prefer texting. Some people like that's the mode they're in all day on their phone and they may not, not want to switch to speech. Or some people may be uncomfortable talking to their wristwatch or their, their phone as they're walking down the street or in a public place. Um, and of course, there's, there's privacy. Um, I, if I'm talking about a health issue, I don't want to be doing that in public. Or the privacy aspect of, let's say I set my um, phone to automatically read my text messages out loud. Well, I don't want to be sitting at Starbucks and have it start <laughs> reading a text message from my husband while I'm standing in line. Um, I do think one thing that may change this is uh, in the future, there may be something more like sub-vocalization, which we're seeing a little bit of with, with Air, the Apple AirPods, where you don't have to speak out loud. You can just kind of mumble the words, um, which means we might all be looking like crazy people walking <laughs> around, but there may be less concern about talking out loud. So that may change things a bit. I think the biggest thing is, though, that in the home, we will see a lot more voice interactions. Everything, you know, you just say, turn the oven on to 400 or whatever, and all these interactions uh, might as well be via voice. Um, I think we'll see a lot of that in the future. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I was I was interested to read about Capital One's um, app for Alexa and thinking about banking and, and thinking to myself, boy, that could go awfully wrong quickly yeah, imagine- if, if you don't have the right right folks in, in play there. Exactly. Imagine somebody can come over and even as a joke, um, I don't know, move money around or <laughs> even even just ask what your balance is, which some people really don't. You know, that's private information and they don't want people to know that. Or you know, I've heard about people... Um, using their roommate's Amazon Echo to order, you know, gummy bears by the the pound um, and things like that, uh, which of course is sort of a mild prank, but it could it could get a lot worse. Absolutely. So um, what advice do you have for designers who are looking to get into the space of designing for voice? So I think my my biggest principle and advice is to design for how people actually talk and, and not how you want them to talk. And I think as designers and developers, we get very focused on whatever we're building. And we think it's very obvious, like, oh, yes, the user will know what they can say here. And it's it's really not true. And especially if you're designing something like a virtual assistant, like Siri, she says, how can I help you? That really sets up the user for failure in a lot of cases, because you really can't just say anything. Um, There's a limited number of things you can say. So we need to spend a lot of time thinking about how will we communicate with the user what, um, you know, what they can actually say. And there's different ways to do that. One thing that's really important is when you're first designing your system to spend a lot of time writing what we call sample dialogues, which are essentially back and forth conversations, kind of like a film script even between the voice user interface and the user. And you write these down and then you read them out loud with somebody. And you learn very quickly, um, like if I wrote the system and I'm reading my, my voice user interface prompts and then I have someone else responding, I learn very quickly really? Someone would say that? I didn't expect that. Um, or so you'll, you can, you can really build your system well from the beginning by, by doing some simple design exercises like that. Um, and another thing that's really important to understand about voice is that voice is just speech recognition is not perfect. Yes, it's way, 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 way better than it used to be, but it still makes a lot of mistakes and you have to build error, graceful error recovery into every voice system, no matter what. Um, I don't think personally that will ever be 100% um, accurate. Human speech recognition is certainly not 100% accurate. Um, so you have to spend a lot of time thinking about your error recovery. One thing, one example I'll bring up is from my previous company, which is called Volio. We had 
these conversational interactions with pre-recorded video on your iPad. So for example, we had an app with Esquire magazine where their hair specialist would um, ask you questions about your hair and uh, give you advice on hair products. So he would say something and then you would say something and back and forth. And depending on what you said, the conversation would go down different paths. But one thing we realized quickly is if the user said something that wasn't understood, rather than saying, sorry, I didn't get that, you know, you can say your hair is short, medium or long, we would have the actor actually record recorded, just continue to look like they were listening. So he might say, how long is your hair? And the user might say, it's as long as my Aunt Sheila's, which of course <laughs> we couldn't understand. And so he would just continue to kind of do attentive listening look. And we found that people just automatically repeated and clarified. There was no like, what's going on here? And and the reason we could do this is because this is a very natural human to human interaction. If I say something and you just kind of stare at me, you know, I know that you didn't understand me and I, and I try to clarify and I repeat myself. And in fact, we found sometimes if I was doing user testing, I'd say, well, what did you think about when that error happened? And they would say, what error? Because it was such a natural um, recovery. And so when you're designing for voice, taking into account a lot of these things that people already know about conversation, um, take advantage of that. You don't have to teach them a whole new paradigm because they already have a lot of these things built in since they were a small child. So you can, you can take advantage of a lot of, a lot of that. That's interesting that, you know, that you're breaking down the behavior, too, and, and getting people to think, like, how does this actually really happen between humans? Yeah, I mean, there's certainly things that we, we maybe can't do yet. For example, one of the things people do is if we're having a conversation and I'm listening, I'll probably periodically say, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, you know, and I'll make these little utterances. But I'm not trying to take over and make it my turn. It's just saying, hey, I'm still listening. Yep, heard you and, and encouragement. And that's something our systems certainly don't do yet. And maybe we should think about in the future um, that they should. Excellent. Okay. So can you talk a little bit, you've, you've mentioned a few of the, uh, the major tools. Can you talk about the tools ecosystem as it stands today? Um, and what recommendations you might have for somebody just getting into the space? I haven't used that many tools, but I'm actually very excited right now because I think it's we're starting to see a lot of tools actually come out, and I'm looking forward to to learning um, a lot of them. For example, um, there's a company called Pullstring. They used to be called Toy Talk. They they made the Hello Barbie and um, some kids apps like the Winston Show. They just put out an authoring tool, um, and I'm really looking for. I downloaded it. And I'm really looking forward to trying that for creating new, um, you know, new sample dialogues, new stories. Then there are things like Tin Can AI um, out of Conversant Labs, which I think will be really great for doing prototyping, which is something we're sorely lacking in the Vui world, the ability to do quick prototyping. And then you've got a mixture of other tools from places like API.ai, which just got by, bought by Google, uh, Nuance Mix, Wit.ai, which is uh, at Facebook. And these allow you to build models um, by giving a lot of sample sentences and having it learn. So for example, if you're trying to build a calendar Vui, you might put a bunch of sample sentences in about how I want to schedule an appointment, I want to make an appointment. Um, and it can learn from those examples so that when somebody says something new that you didn't already write down, um, it can still understand. So I'm just very excited that these tools are finally kind of coming out. Um, it's kind of always been the holy grail of the voice user interface world. We were always trying to build tools at Nuance and it's very difficult to do. Um, and hopefully we're really getting to the point where they're very workable. Excellent. So beyond tools, can you talk a little bit about uh, what you think the biggest challenges are in terms of moving moving forward? I think the biggest challenge with VUIs is discoverability. And by that, I mean, kind of what we talked about before is how do your users know what the heck they can say to your VUI? 
it's, it's a difficult problem. I don't have all the solutions, but you know, one way you can do this is by having your VUI be a very specific domain. So for example, at Sensely, we have a specific conversation from start to finish about, let's say, you know, how you're doing that day um, that asks a series of questions. And it's always very clear, you know, what to do. So if it says, you know, is your blood pressure cuff on? Users aren't going to say, what's the weather in San Francisco? You know, they, they know what we're talking about. Um, so leading the user through, and maybe that's a little less exciting than an, an app that can do anything, but it'll be very successful that way. Another thing is just build in some natural discoverability. And I'm thinking about a couple examples, like with the Amazon Echo, the other day I had to reboot my router and then the Amazon Echo came back on and I wanted to know if it was connected again. And I just said, without even thinking, I said, are you Alexa, are you working? And she said, everything seems to be working. And I stopped and I thought, you know, I never stopped and said, how shall I check to see if the internet is working on the Amazon Echo? What command should I use? I just said what came out of my mouth and she responded. And when you're building a VUI, one of the most important things to do is to look at the logs. What are people saying to your system, especially when it failed? And you're going to learn all kinds of things that people are asking about that you might want to add to your system. Another example is on my phone. I have an Android, a Samsung, and I was in the camera app and I was taking a picture and I said, smile, and it took the picture. And I, I realized I could say cheese, I could say one, two, three, and all these things would automatically take the picture. What a great way to do discoverability. Take things people are already doing and make the action happen. So that's, that's a challenge, but um, one we can do some things to, to help out with. And another challenge is, um, as, as I mentioned, when you're, when you're seeing all these things that people are asking for, you might think, well, my system can't do those, so I'm going to ignore them. But people get really frustrated with that. You should at least acknowledge the request, even if you can't solve the problem. So for example, the other day I asked Alexa to do sort of a complex calendar uh, command. And she said, I'm sorry, I, um, that's not something I can do with the calendar right now. And it was, it was much more satisfying um, than just I didn't understand. Um, or last night, uh, my husband was, was doing some stuff on, the, on the, the network and he said, Alexa, what's your IP address? And she said, I can't see my IP address. And it was like, wow. <laughs> Um, and again, it was very satisfying. Okay, she heard me, she understood me, even though she couldn't help me. And this is what you want with people too. If I'm saying something to you about my my day or something, and you just ignore me, that's really frustrating. Whereas if you say, okay, here, you're talking about such and such, even if you're not solving my problem, um, you know, I really... I appreciate it. And it's the same with, with Louise. Interesting. It just as an aside, do you, I mean, have you had much experience with um, dealing with the issues of accents? So back in the day at Nuance, we had all these different language uh, models where we had, you know, even in English, we had our UK English versus our US English versus our Australian English and all these different models to understand accents. And that's still true to some extent. Um, but, you know, I think it's almost like we're working towards with, with a given language, like let's say we're talking about English, um, a more universal model where lots of different accents will be um, understood. A lot of it just has to do with data. Like in the beginning, um, children were very hard to understand because the data sets that were built were, were adult voices, mostly adult male voices in the beginning. And so women were also less understood in the beginning. But as we add more and more data to these data sets, um, it becomes more and more accurate. Right now, for example, my son is eight and Alexa understands him very well. So we are continually improving um, on, on that kind of thing. Interesting. What, what do you make of the, uh, the gender selection of assistants these days? <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely one of my pet peeves. Um, I, I saw an article recently that said, oh, well, we did some research and users prefer female voices. And I thought that's such a cop out. I mean, 
it's true that people are used to that. And if you ask them, even maybe it is true, they'll say they prefer a female, a young white female voice seems to be the, the, the default. Um, but I think we have, um, a duty as designers to really get beyond stereotypes, you know, just because the last designer chose uh, a young female voice and persona doesn't mean you have to, um, you know, let's think beyond that and be a little more interesting and creative. I just saw something that came out of Genevieve. I think, um, you can tell Genevieve to turn on the, the oven and things like that. And I just thought, really? Like, <laughs> let's, let's get a little more creative and, and, and not just fall into the, the same box that everybody else is, is in. Absolutely. So one final question beyond your own work, what people or projects are, um, grabbing your attention these days? I, I have to say, I just, I really love my Amazon Echo and I'm really excited about Google Home coming out. Um, it's interesting because I remember when the commercial for the Amazon Echo came out and I thought, who would want this creepy thing in their house listening to them? And um, and I got one when I was working on the book for research and now our whole family loves it. Um, and I think a lot about why that is because a lot of the things the Amazon Echo can do, I can do on my phone, but I don't do them on my phone. Um, and it's just the lack of friction. It's so easy just to call out Alexa, set a timer, whatever the thing is, so much easier than doing that on my phone. I mean, it sounds kind of silly. It's not like hard on my phone, but just the lack of friction really makes a difference. And the other thing about it is that it's so uh, accurate. Um, a lot of that has to do with, you know, the, the microphone technology it uses. But for doing the things I do every day, like playing music or checking my calendar, it gets those right almost every single time. It so rarely fails me. So that when I do ask for something that it doesn't know the answer to, I'm not that upset about it. It's more like a game. Like, I wonder what else Alexa can do. And she's always learning. So um, new new things are being understood all the time. Or even, you know, if you, used to be when you said Alexa, good night, she said uh, good night. And now she says good night, sweet dreams. So they're always enhancing and adding. Um, and I just... It's funny to me that that this that this device uh, that I would like it so much, um, and if you took it away, I would be sad. Um, <laughs> because really, what is it doing that my phone can't do? Not that much, but I still I still think it's it's pretty great. Um, the other day, I was going to call my dad um, to wish him to sing him happy birthday, and my husband said, "Well, let's get Alexa to sing with us." So the four of us, Alexa, <laughs> myself, and my son. <laughs> Uh, and my husband all saying happy birthday to my dad over the phone. And it's like, she's become a member of the household. Um, the other day, my son was doing his homework and he asked us how to spell a word. And, and we said, well, sound it out. And he said, well, fine, I'll just ask Alexa. And he asked Alexa how to spell the word. And I think for him, it's it's he's going to grow up with this kind of system. Um, and it's just going to be part of regular life. Whereas if I think when I was a kid, I would have been so I would have loved this thing. Um, and just as an aside, something I do want to mention about things like the Amazon Echo and other voice systems. One thing that's really important is privacy and trust. People will often be reluctant to trust. And I know a lot of people say, well, I'm not going to have an Amazon Echo because it's going to listen to me and all that information is going to be sent to Amazon. And it's important to remember that everything you say until you say Alexa is ignored. That's all done locally. None of that information gets sent to Amazon or anyone else. And it's not until you say Alexa that the information is then streamed um, to Amazon. And when you're building your own buoy, it's really, really, really important to follow those types of rules. And the information that you do collect should be anonymized. Um, you have to transcribe it and things like that, but it should be done in an anonymous way. And that's something you, because if you lose your user's trust, if they find out that there's a breach where you expose their information, you know, they're going to not trust your buoy or other buoys. Um, so something just to keep in mind. Absolutely. It's interesting. I wonder, you know, how many people will stay away from naming 
their child or pet, Alexa, <laughs> moving forward. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, boy. It's, you know, as you were talking, too, I thought to myself, it sounds like a member of the family. And then you said it. And what's interesting, the what I'm seeing is how connected it's making households feel, not just, you know, connected to Alexa, but you're getting away from your, your screen mm. and you're having a conversation. It's really true. Like at our dinner table, we have no screens, but occasionally someone will be, we'll be talking about a subject and we'll be like wondering, you know, who was the 30th president or whatever. And and one of us will just turn to Alexa and, and say that and like adds to our conversation as opposed to somebody suddenly burying their face in their phone. And it's like, oops, we lost them. <laughs> um, it's just, it's more like a conversational partner than, um, than a, a, an experience where you are um, ignoring everybody else. Absolutely. Well, Kathy, thank you so much for joining me today. I truly appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for listening. You can reach Kathy on Twitter at cpearl42. If you like the show, remember to subscribe and leave a positive review through iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, or SoundCloud. <laughs>